Hello, everyone, and welcome to our um, uh, second episode on the third series of the Ajial podcast. The, um, the series is called Youth Perspectives in the Arabian Gulf. And today's episode is about big green initiatives in the Gulf, a youth perspective. Um, this series is brought to you in collaboration with the Arab Youth Climate Movement in Qatar um, and, and, and is being represented by, by my colleague here, Nishad. And with us is our guest, Abdurrahman Al-Muftah from Qatar also. And he's part of the sustainability and environment team of the Supreme Committee for Delivery and Legacy for the Sustainability Strategy for the FIFA World Cup 2022. Welcome, Abdurrahman. Um, I'll just introduce the purpose of today's episode really quick. And so in general, the Gulf is taking big green initiatives and they're being presented to the public once the decision-making process has been completed. And we want to weigh in as youth, especially you as Gulf youth, on this. So do you agree with the decisions being made? How can we foster better decisions next time? How, how can we include youth in the discussions before the decision has been, uh, has been finalized? And so we want to talk about a few projects regarding nature and climate. One of them is the FIFA World Cup that will be in Qatar. Uh, the second one is the Saudi Green Initiative, also the Middle East Green Initiative, and finally, Masdar City. These are just some of the examples that we're trying to highlight for our, for our audience that are happening in West Asia. And we want to weigh in on these. What do we think? They're big initiatives, and we, want the, and we want the perspective of youth. That's why we're having you here with us today, Abdurrahman. All right, so let's um, jump to our first segment, quick questions with quick responses. Number one, from one to 10, how involved are Gulf youth in climate decision-making? I'd say about five. Okay. And number two, which is more effective, community-based action, government action, or private sector action in the Gulf? Government-based actions. And number three, and finally, how would you describe youth involvement in climate action in the Gulf? Um, say very uh, upcoming, uh, starting to, to, to uprise. All right, perfect. Thanks a lot. Let's move on to our discussion now. Um, the first question that we're going to ask you is, are big green initiatives considered greenwashing in oil and gas exporting countries. And let me just give some context here, um, just so that to spark that discussion or to spark exactly what we want to get out of you, Abdurrahman. So um, reading through the Saudi Green Initiative, which has a website and we link it down in the description for the audience, we're looking at uh, like the purpose is to increase reliance on clean energy. We're looking at offsetting the impact of fossil fuels on, and, and generally protecting the environment, um, you know, and what they mean by it. And so, like, I saw a few targets. There are 50% renewables in the kingdom by 2030, reducing emissions by less than 4, uh, sorry, by more than 4%, planting 10 billion trees. And in the Green Mina project, I think it's around 50 billion trees. Um, and, you know, they also aim to raise protected areas. Um, we want to weigh in like on these as youth. Just one thing to, to note is that within those initiatives, we were seeing that Aramco is part of the, is part of the, you know, is part of the initiatives. We're not here to talk about specific companies. 
We're just here to ask, is it normal to have an oil um, exporting country or an oil exporting uh, company part of a solution for the, for the climate? Is this considered greenwashing by you? Um, you know, what do you think about this? Um, I think every country just uh, uses the resources it has. And uh, for the longer period, the, the, the region did not have any resources that were tangible or, or until the, the, the finding that there is oil in, in the ground. So the countries had to prosper from it and develop. Um, and for the longest period, they did rely on it and it was heavily their, their income for, for most of these countries. But um, a lot of them do intend to to diversify from this from these uh, initiatives or from, from just using this these uh, um, resources to something else and they want to economically diversify and it's not a bad thing that they're doing it using the oil because they can't really stop it to prosper because they need the they need to be using those resources right now um, and also the demand of a lot of these resources is not coming from the region is it's also something that other regions that are not oil infused uh, 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 regions that are still using it so the demand comes from there and they also did not fully transition without without uh, they still rely on us to to, to transition or to, to 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 live a normal life in, in, in the regions excellent i'll just take it from there uh, so absolutely fine. You said much of the the, the uh, production from the oil and gas industry are beyond the state. Uh, if you take in Qatar or Saudi Arabia, most of the oil and gas uh, which are produced locally is very small percentage. Much of it is taken by, by other countries which doesn't have a larger oil and gas reserve. So also has to take place in those respective countries too at the same time. If not, you know that there is a global demand. Of course, the producers will be keep producing as long as there is a demand. So as a young person, you know, uh, how do you feel um, uh, if there is no such demand happening in the coming days? Do you think the transition will be faster in the Gulf countries? I think they'll have to adapt and it has to, it has to be faster because um, there's no, the, the, the money they will be making out of, out of these products or out of these resources is not gonna be as much anymore. So they have to, they have to, they will have to find a way to transition. Um, but it's it's still a hypothetical thing. It's still you still see the patterns in all of these countries, and you still see that they are making the shift as as slow or even slower than the region that we are living in. And, and a lot also, of the like seeing have the resources. Excellent. So also seeing it's like the, how Ryan mentioned the greenwashing. Um, I've seen some of the projects in in Qatar and Saudi, like Aramco supporting or Adnoc supporting UAE. Um, yeah. you know, shell supporting initiatives in Qatar. Do you think it is good or bad? Because most of their fundings are on research, what I understand is. Um, I, I don't think it's greenwashing. I think it maybe seem like it because there isn't a lot of tangible stuff. The, 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 the movement toward setting new goals or sustainable strategies in the region has not started for a long time. So you can't really see uh, the results, especially when, when, whenever you, you transition sustainably, the transition is, is somewhat slower than, than, than any type of other transition. So uh, it's just something that's not tangible. You don't see it, but a lot of the targets are being met and, and a lot of them are targets that 
are not really intended or not really, you don't really see them being used as greenwashing. So these companies don't really sell it as yes, we're only doing these and we're, we're, we're because we do, because we do these projects, because we do these programs, we, we are um, kind of, um, what's the word for it? Forgiving for, for whatever we did so far, you know, they, 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 they never use that as a narrative and it doesn't seem to, come up as a narrative in a lot of cases. I think we're coming back to what you, Nishad, and Dr. Rania spoke in the podcast um, conclusive webinar for the first series, which is, you know, in one part, Nishad was also explaining that, you know, there are other countries who are demanding those resources. So, you know, decreasing the export of fossil fuels also depends on the importing countries. But at the same time, Dr. Rania was mentioning these initiatives are all great, but she doesn't agree with them because, you know, what is more important is to reduce consumption or reduce the emissions within the country and not be, be like create new initiatives that are good for the environment, but keeping the emissions, the export, the, the imports all the same. So we can't offset before we decrease emissions. And so this is where the dilemma is happening between us youth regarding the like re, like regarding the emissions topic in the gulf what do we do how do we demand it because if we keep on exporting people are criticizing us and if we do great initiatives in the middle east we're also being criticized so you know what are we left with here um what's the best solution you know um the best solution i would say is is, is just to wait and wait for the results, right? Because then people will come and see the cities that you just mentioned. You mentioned the, 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 the development of, of, of green cities, green developments. Uh, a, lot of, um, a lot of the systems, a lot of the, 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 the things they use, electric, like for example, we have a big example here in Doha, the new uh, uh, energy generation facility, and they have all transitioned to be more efficient. They're all, switching towards that and you can come and eventually and see that it's it's something that 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 is actually is, is actually in the ground and it's something that's happening but it's not getting the coverage that needs to just because the production and the demand is still the same i'm also going to bring up because i remember from their discussion with the, uh, the last uh, call also the the thing about equity you know the, the countries which have been demanding now had a huge industrial revolution happening for like 50 or 100 years, while the countries in the Gulf just started like in 20, 30 years back. So there's an equity issue also in the same time because they need to grow. Of course, this is for the people and the people who live here. So that development is also critical at this point of time. So when the countries like the US and the other super developed um, G7 or uh, countries are demanding Gulf countries, that's also making sure that you know, the transition comes with economic benefits too. So how um, Abdurrahman was mentioning, you know, as long as the demand and um, uh, for production is there, if the country doesn't translate, there, there is a huge potential for those sort of uh, fossil fuel industries to still keep moving on. And the more these countries also demand, the more we can develop because the, the cost and the, the production will, will increase. So then we can we can transport more, investing money into us to develop our inner cities to make them more efficient and more green. So it definitely works both ways. And um, 
I believe this is the same uh, kind of argument that Canada has used in a while ago because they came to us and they, they came to them and they criticized them because they still have a lot of oil production and oil extraction. And then they told them, yes, but we have all of these plans to transition. And they did that way earlier than th th this region. So they're not being criticized as much because the transition is happening and the economic diversification towards making economical economical change in the country has started a long time ago and, and, and it's in progress and it's much bigger than here at least uh, in a rate of percentage thanks a lot for that i think it's pretty clear regarding this topic in the gulf um you know like the ideas what we can criticize what needs to you know have patience at least and just you know look forward because i guess the transition is definitely coming but you know the way forward needs to keep in mind the economy and how you know the entire country or the entire region will move forward let's move on to talking about the fifa world cup let's talk about masdar city let's talk about Mshayrib. so um do tell us a bit about the fifa world cup but also just mentioning here about masdar city going back to greenwashing um masdar city great buildings 40 percent less water low carbon cement, 90% recycled um, aluminium. And then we have companies in there like Schneider, Mitsubishi, Etihad Airways and all of these who emit a lot of carbon, but who have offices in a very sustainable city. Um, what, like, what do we say about that? Is that also greenwashing or is that a nice solution while reducing emissions at the same time? Same topic, but now, you know, FIFA World Cup, Mazdar City. Uh, so for for I'll, I'll talk first about Maslow City because you mentioned that there there will be like a there can be like a green city, but then you'll have people, like companies within them that they have their uh, their own agendas, and maybe they're not the most uh, considered the most uh, uh, environmentally friendly <laughs> companies, yeah. uh, and it depends on the agendas because a greenwashing exists. That's why it's a, that's why it's a, that's why it's it's a it's a, talk, it's a talking point because it exists and a lot of you can see that companies do it but it really depends on their agendas and uh, uh you can never really tell but at least the city itself is, is has developed and you can see that they 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 have done whatever they can do to to to, to improve it um whether they can bring companies i mean that maybe don't really support the agenda or or greenwashing or be, if they know or they don't know about them is, is not really uh, some sort of uh, determinant, you know? Yeah. yeah uh, do you want to touch on other initiative like the upcoming FIFA World Cup? Does this trend really be something that we would see in the um, coming days, like Expo 2020 is also uh, known to be carbon neutral. So you think this region actually leads in this? Because of course, this all needs a lot of money because it's not easy. Like how Ryan mentioned, if those companies taking up um, as, their, as their offices, of course, there's a need to be return of investment, you know, and uh, having a sustainable city in the most uh, adverse and extreme temperature states like in the Gulf, it is not that easy compared to uh, normal weather countries like in the US or Canada or other European countries when you compare to all other Asian countries you compare to. So th th there is that shift, which is also need to be understand that uh, we live in a super arid country, which is close to desert. So it has its own ecosystem, which has to be taken as a contest before you say, oh, we build a green city in a desert ecosystem. And uh, what do we expect? We need people to come and buy it. Of course, some buyers like how Abdurrahman mentioned, 
they not have this green agenda in their mind, but of course they might use as a propaganda or agenda to greenwash themselves. But of course the the, um, the developer always looks for you know inhabitants to come and join there, uh, irrespective of who which uh, origin. Of course you cannot stop them. They also need return of investment for a huge investment of such a great uh, green cities in the region. So going back to you regarding you know the the, the World Cup and the Expo, do you think this is a trend? And in the coming days, if you hear another. Olympics happening in the region, which is carbon neutral again. Do you think this is going to be a trend? Uh, I mean, uh, because of the World Cup, uh, we we developed the, so an, an organization in the country have developed uh, uh, carbon ca- carbon credits, and they are certifying carbon. So a lot of the agendas that we pushed were very uh, carbon friendly uh, in a way. And you've you've mentioned all of these numbers that Masdar as a as a as a as a as a building also has when it comes to uh, reducing their their impact, uh, the World Cup have very similar uh, numbers. We have we have managed to get thirty percent uh, uh, energy efficiency in all of our stadiums. We've managed to get forty percent water efficiency in all of our stadiums. Uh, we've managed to um, get um, a lot of our uh, materials that were used when it comes to construction. For example, ninety percent of all our construction material was was recycled, and that is much higher than the original benchmark in the country right now, which is 10%. So we, we are up to 90% at this point. Um, and all of these initiatives are pushing for other stuff because since we got certified with this green certification system, which is a, which is a, a local certification system, uh, it expanded and it managed to, to sink out to the country. So we have Lucille, uh, uh, we have Lucille City in, 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 in Qatar who has a mandatory requirement of achieving a certain star system within within this green system that was pushed because of the World Cup. Um, the World Cup has also managed to push a lot of other stuff like uh, green transportation, the, the rail project that we have in Qatar wouldn't have been operational except because the World Cup is happening and it got expedited very fast. Um, green transport, we have also our bus busing systems a lot of our buses and part of collaboration with the World Cup managed to get a lot of electrical buses uh, to be uh, operational before the World Cup and for the World Cup. Um, I mean, also, uh, there's an 800 megawatt uh, solar solar plant now being built by Kahrama, which will be partially operational by the World Cup, and it will feed into the World Cup uh, uh, the stadiums, and it will, it will be part of the, the, the World Cup stadiums will be uh, generated by uh, electric uh, by uh, solar power so um all of this was pushed because the the country has a, has an agenda based on our qmb qatar national vision of 2030 and it is economical diversification we don't want to stick to this agenda that we are only 95% uh, oil based we want to we want to diverse we want to find some other opportunities and we we know that the world cup will be part of it and with it came all of the environmental sustainability initiatives that that also rose within within those and a lot of social ones as well but uh, maybe they're not very relevant to this topic but you can see that it's also very a driven change that we want to achieve uh, and it's it's targeted and it ever sets uh, 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 sort of um, yeah just targets for it basically thank you so much abdurrahman um we've run out of time but i guess the message is very clear we have great cities um, in West Asia specifically, of great examples of how green cities should be developed. Maybe a question for the audience, 
what is holding back other uh, like other cities around West Asia, other cities around the world from achieving what is being achieved in the Gulf regarding these cities because they are truly great great projects and like the future of cities. Maybe what is holding them back is maybe money, the like the funding. Maybe it's the expertise. Maybe it's decision making. So how can youth around the world maybe help push those cities to you know to change and become more sustainable? We leave that to our audience. But in general, thank you so much, Nishat, for being here with us as well and for posing the questions. Thank you, Abdul Rahman, for this great episode. Um, and we'll see you, our audience, in our last episode. Um, you know next time. All right. Thanks a lot, everyone. See you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode with Abdurrahman and I. We hope that you enjoyed it. Please remember that all the information and our guest's bio are linked in a blog post in the caption section below. And let us know what you honestly think about what was discussed between Abdurrahman and I in the comments section below. Next week will be our last episode on this series and we will discuss women leadership and climate action in the Arabian Gulf. Stay tuned for that and see you.